0: And uh, appreciate everybody tuning back in. Um, normally, it's just me and Etheridge in here, but today we got a, a special guest, a NBA writer. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and, and plug where everybody can find you at, if you want.
1: Yeah, Mo Dakeel. I used to be a video coordinator in the NBA for the Clippers and Spurs, working Team Australia up until the 2012 Olympics. And now I have a website, thejumpball.net. Uh, I also have a podcast also called the jump ball. Uh, I don't do a great job of posting regularly, but when I get an interesting guest, I tend to tend to post them. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at mo.keel, D A K H I L underscore NBA. Find all my stuff that way. Hey, right, man,
2: yeah. he, he writes some good stuff over there. Uh, I just read your most recent piece with uh, Mitchell Robinson about them uh, needing to develop him into uh, Clint Capella. I like. I thought that's a perfect comparison. So he writes some good stuff over there if you want to follow him. I
1: appreciate that. I got some pushback from some Knicks fans. Some of them were too low of a bar. They were like, why can't he be honest? Why can't he be AD? I said, well, guys, I'm just trying to. Tell you what I saw. <laughs> yeah,
2: he needs to be Clint Capella before he turns into Giannis.
1: Yeah, you know, there's, you know, but uh, sorry. Apparently, the guy has a, a shot. I I didn't even see him look at the rim outside of two feet when he was at summer league. But apparently, as a jumper. But we haven't seen it yet. That's well, the you, thing.
0: That's the thing about some of these fans is a lot of guys have things that they don't really have when uh by the end of the summer league. We didn't see any of it, and all of a sudden, the guys got a great jump shot, or he's a crazy athlete, and we're looking at the games going, really? Because I haven't seen that part yet. I can, only, I can only do what the film shows me, guys. I can only <laughs> tell
2: you what the film shows me. And well, let's just be honest here. Knicks fans, um, well, they're not the most uh reasonable fans out there that I've uh interacted with.
1: Um, I haven't really interacted with a lot of reasonable fan bases. I think <laughs> a fan base has their own little quirks. I mean, of course there's – reasonable fans within that segment but that's just every fan
0: base kind of has a little yeah they get their own corner and the issue is the reasonable fans are the ones you're not interacting with right (laughs) but uh we'll go ahead and jump into the topic that everybody is tuning in for and everyone wants to listen to so we'll talk a little bit of lakers um we kind of held off to see exactly what la was going to do um through the summer we didn't know if there was going to be another big move or what, but now that it looks like the roster may be final heading into the season, um, what do we really think about it? What do we think about what uh, Magic Johnson's been able to do with the Lakers? Um, Etheridge, since you're the LeBron stand, you can go ahead and, and take the <laughs> point on this one.
2: Yeah, I am a bit of a LeBron stand. I will uh, admit my bias there, but um, uh, it's, it's shaped up sort of – like every, at first it was sort of weird – each by each signing I'm like, wow, like why are they signing this guy? Why are they signing this guy? And then by the end of it, I'm sort of like, uh, eh, okay, I might could see where LA's going with this. Uh, LeBron transitioning more to a four and a po uh playing in the post quite a bit. With uh several good passers and shot creators around him to sort of uh, take some of the heat off of him he had in Cleveland. In Cleveland he had to be the shot creator of the post, uh the the score, the pass, he had to do pretty much everything. But um, I think he's trying to take some of the load off LeBron and allow some of the uh, younger guys, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, to uh, sort of create for him. Um, I still think they're going to try to make one more move, maybe before Christmas or the trade deadline's up, uh, to try to get a bigger guy in there. But um, I like where it's – I think they're going to use LeBron at the elbow some and more on the low block, and then uh, split screen some stuff to uh, allow him to sort of facilitate out of the post as opposed to trying to come off a lot of ball screens. Uh, and they specifically, and Mo, maybe you can back me up here. Uh, the, uh, I think they've got a set that I really like where they run a horn set, throw it to the elbow, and then they uh, do a dribble handoff ball screen to the same side. And uh, I think uh, we'll see a lot of that with uh, Brandon Ingram and LeBron. And I'm really excited to see Ingram coming off a LeBron ball screen.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a really interesting aspect of it. You know, the funny thing about it is the Lakers were second in pace all last year. And LeBron, historically, his teams don't play with a lot of pace. He likes to slow it down a lot and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of Met, you know, put everything together now. The story is they're, they're going to be more up tempo and things like that. But everybody in July says they're going to play more up tempo, they say the same thing in August, right? September, <laughs> then training camp comes, and you're kind of like, I don't know. And then, you know, once the games start, you're like, All right, we're not playing up tempo anymore. So, right,
2: yeah, by March, you're like, Uh, man, maybe, uh, maybe we need to change this. this is just- uh, we're going too fast <laughs> right
1: so every every kind of team has it and and, and when I, it'll be interesting to see how it kind of how they mold it with with LeBron and if LeBron's like yeah no let's do it let's go more up tempo you know he's he's ready to roll with that I think you can tell with the team they're putting together um, although it's been a odd bunch of names I would say it's it's they're putting together guys they can put the ball on the floor can can play make a little bit, you know, Rajon Rondo, they already have Lonzo. Uh, the idea is he might push Lonzo to, you know, a, a little more in terms of playing time and whatnot. Uh, but it's also another, another kind of cerebral thinker, another guy that can kind of think the game, you know, they have Lance Stevenson who, who in, in itself is a character, but um, you know, he's, he, he has flashes of greatness. You have Beasley now who can score and, and whatnot. I don't know if I agree with you, on the uh, they're going to, you know, maybe bring in another uh, big piece or whatever, you know, come trade deadline. I think this is going to kind of be their team, except for a few minor minor tweaks around the edges. Um, right. But I think overall, I think this is their squad. I think they're going to – I think we might see – you know, I think you're right, LeBron's going to play the four. I think we're going to – might. we might even see LeBron at the five and then just them go completely small. The thing is, when you bring a guy like LeBron James onto your team, you kind of cater, you, you, and you should. You kind of cater your offense and, and around him, and what and how he's going to want to play. So, like you said, him at the elbow, them running a horn set, and then get it to him at the elbow, and then a dribble handoff with him and Ingram would be interesting. Um, you know, is something. You know, there's there's going to be a lot of different ways in which they can kind of put him to put him in places to really be effective. I still feel like he's going to be one of the main facilitators for the team like he was in Cleveland. Um, It's just going to be interesting to see how they kind of put this all together.
0: Yeah um, you know you mentioned pace and how historically LeBron is not doesn't have the highest pace on the teams he's playing with. Um, Just curious in your opinion with if LeBron's production is not lowered in a bad way but he's not having to do as much throughout the course of a game he's not having to play 45 minutes a game could you see a LeBron team and LeBron being able to up the pace a little bit
1: yeah I mean I could see him doing it and and you know and I think we're talking usage right like if he's right. not responsible as much as he he would need to be you know uh like he was with Cleveland where basically felt like he had to be involved in every play right you know, I think yeah you can see him saving himself in moments and, and one to push and one not to but there's also just a comfort level of how you like to play you know right. it's not a um, not necessarily just that easy for him to just say like okay cool I'm gonna play with pace now I'm gonna push the ball I'm gonna run a lot more and and things like that I'm not sure if that's that easy um, I could see him increasing the pace and I could see him kind of playing faster, but I could also see the Lakers playing slower and that these guys kind of meet somewhere in the middle. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up in the middle of packing in terms of pace or, or, or just out of the top ten um, just with how they're going to – you know, when they have LeBron and how they utilize him. It really just kind of comes down to how do they utilize him. If they're going to post him up a lot more, well, that needs to be a slower half-court game. That's not right. a, that's not right. something that kind of just – throw out and it, it, it's hard to, you know, you can get early post-ups in transition, but again, it's it's not a easy thing to do. And then use that to kind of facilitate your offense. Instead, if they're going to run sets to get them in the post, again, that's a half-court setting kind of thing. It'll be interesting. The thing is they have the ability. What I like about this Laker team is they do have the ability to turn it up, play fast, and they have the ability to, hey, let's just slow it down. You know, they're they're short of shooters, that's for sure. But I like the fact that they have guys that kind of put the ball on the floor and can go get a shot for himself. Because one thing Beasley can do, he can go get a shot for himself. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Beasley, if he does anything, he's going to get a shot up. Uh, yeah. The I'm, the one guy on the roster I'm sort of curious to see how they utilize him um, is Lon. I mean Lonzo because his rookie year, you know, in order for him to be effective. He sort of had to have the ball in his hands and had to create. Now, he, he was good off of the ball, but we all know his uh, shooting troubles. But I'll be curious to see how they use Lonzo with LeBron because, I ha- you know, he's going to have to play a lot of minutes with LeBron on the floor. And if LeBron and Ingram are sort of the two uh, shot creators, uh, Lonzo is going to maybe have to fill that third shot creator role. And I just wonder how that's going to – uh, how that's going to either stunt or help his development because he's not going to get the high repetitions he normally would. Uh, so he's going to sort of have to make use of the touches he does get. And I just wonder uh, how that's going to help or stunt his development. Um,
1: yeah, so I actually kind of wrote about it just when it seemed pretty clear that LeBron was going to go to to L.A. It was probably just before he, it was before he announced, but I felt like everybody felt pretty confident he was coming to L.A. And I actually think Lonzo's a great teammate for him. I think he's a, if, if LeBron's willing to kind of play a little more off the ball, which is something we haven't seen, I think Lonzo's a great teammate for him. Lonzo's going to find him when he cuts. Lonzo's going to place the ball in positions where only LeBron can get it when he's posting up. If if, say the defense kind of fronts him and and things like that, I think there's going to be opportunities there for, for Lonzo to really kind of show where his value is in playing with LeBron. I think there's, lots of opportunities if LeBron does shoot it up run up the court you know Lonzo's going to find him with some of those outlet passes um you know the thing about Lonzo was you know he had the ball in his hands a lot but he also gave it up real quickly you know he made the right passes you know the big strike of course and again for almost the whole team is you know we we really have to see how he shoots the ball and that was the bigger issue for Lonzo was very inconsistent shooting wise last year you know he had a Started out very cold, had a hot streak, and then was very cold again. And now, you know, had the knee injury, and now now he has, he's had knee surgery. It's going to be interesting to see how he comes back. But LeBron's never played with a player with the passing IQ that Lonzo Ball has. Now Kyrie's a better basketball player, but he doesn't pass the way Lonzo does. And Lonzo kind of just has a very nice intuition, a very nice feel when a guy's cutting where exactly to place it and whatnot. And I think you're going to see a lot more fun for – a lot of fun stuff for LeBron if he really embraces that. You know, when he cuts and things like that, you know, it's going to be fun opportunities for him. And not only that, when he cuts, you know the whole defense is going to react to his cut, which is going to open up other guys. So I think it's just a really – it'd be really interesting. I think, you know, they have to kind of embrace the fact that, you know, they got to keep Lonzo the ball on Lonzo's hands a bit, you know, and, and again, it kind of takes some pressure off LeBron for having to create everything on every play. And I think it'll be an interesting, uh, tandem. I think, I think it has a chance to be really great.
0: Yeah. And, and with Rondo in the lineup too, um, it's, they can kind of have a guy with that little intuition, like you mentioned on the court at all times. And I think that's beneficial for a young lineup and, and, Especially for what the Lakers have. And now that we talked about a little bit of the style of play, um, potentially, how good do you think this Lakers team can be? Do, now, can it? I think we talked about it on our last podcast um, a little bit of how when the guys started getting added to the lineup in the offseason, people overreacted on how bad the lineup was going to be just because they expected Kawhi or Paul George or whoever it was. So they, they went too far to say, oh, you know, this Lakers team isn't going to be a – they might not make the playoffs or or they're they're just not good or they've really screwed up this offseason. We think that – or I personally think that they're going to be a, a lot better than what the the Twitter mob is saying they will be. What, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I kind of have them, you know, in the mix for the playoffs. I, I, I'm never going to bet against LeBron James not making the playoffs, right? I, I have them as a playoff team just because they have LeBron. Um, and he has a better team going into this year than he did last year. Now the yeah. other caveat too, though, is, you know, the West is stacked. Like yeah. that's no joke. You know, that's every night you're playing a world leader in the West. Like that's not a, uh, you know, except for maybe Phoenix and uh, Sacramento, you know, every night's going to be a tough game. Every night's going to be a challenge. Um, I don't know if this kind of, I don't think they're in the top tier. I don't, I don't have them in the Houston or, or uh, golden state tier for sure. Right. I don't, I don't have them in, you know, I, I think OKC and Utah, excuse me, are better. I think they're in the tier where, and you, we kind of just have to see how everything goes, but you know, they're in that tier of Denver, Minnesota, um, uh, uh New Orleans, Portland, Portland. Yeah. you know, um, uh, the clippers to an extent i think the clippers will will, will struggle a little bit but they're going to be a tough team to play on most nights um you know i think they're they're in that tier i think they're in that third tier and and part of it too is this takes time also to develop like this is a chemistry thing as well this isn't i don't i don't expect them to come in and hit the gr- the ground running you know and run off a t- a bunch of wins early on i think they kind of have to you know it's going to take time for them to sort of figure out how to how to play together? It's going to take uh, Walton time to figure out the rotations and and who does he want to play and who doesn't he want to play? I don't think he's not sure if all the guys they brought in are going to get a ton of minutes, um, or if all the young kids that they want, you know, are gonna are gonna get those minutes. You know, I don't know how many minutes Josh Hart's going to get a game and and things like that. So it's going to be an interesting thing. I think I, I have them as a playoff team just purely on the pure fact of like I will bet on LeBron until there is no LeBron to bet on. Um, right, <laughs> but I don't have them as like in the top four. I don't have them getting home court advantage in the first round. I don't have them going very far in the playoffs, but I have them making it. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of just where I'm at.
0: Yeah, I think I'll let you go, Ethridge. But I think they're probably going to be uh, one of the six, seven, eight seed slots. But by the time the playoffs get started, um, I do think they will be good enough that they can give a three seed a run in in the opening series for sure but not good enough to – I don't think they're in any way going to contend this year. Ethers, you go ahead.
2: The uh, So, I was – I actually had a different discussion with a guy on Twitter. We were just talking about the West um, – some of the West teams and how good they were. And if you look down the West, uh, you know, you obviously have Houston and you've got Golden State at the top. Uh, Utah is going to be right there again. Denver is only going to get better. Uh, you know, you got Jamal Murray and, and those guys developing. Joe Kitsch has signed an extension there. So Denver's going to be right back there in the mix. Um, then you've got OKC, who possibly gets better by subtraction, by getting rid of Carmelo. And then um, you've got San Antonio, who added DeMar DeRozan. They got the, what was it, the seven seed last year, and Kawhi never played. So – It'll be interesting to see how San Antonio bounces back. But if they were a seven last year with no Kawhi Leonard, you would think uh, logically only adding DeMar DeRozan should only help that um, compared to last year. Now, they did lose Danny Green. but um, So, yeah, you're right. The West is stacked. And I could see L.A. finishing maybe as high as five, maybe four. I might give them four. Uh, but I could also see them uh, finishing as low as seven and eight. Uh, 47, 48 wins is, was the number for about five teams in the West last year. And I think L.A. probably falls somewhere right in that mix, somewhere between 40, 46 and 49 wins. Um, could maybe on a good day seeing them get to 50, but I, I think 46 to 49 wins is the the threshold I have L.A. in now.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's listen, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they don't make the playoffs. Like, you know, it's right. Anybody who thinks it's not possible is, 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 is a little bit, uh, just kind of jumping on a bandwagon of some sorts, but it's, it's, I would just say it's something that's like, it's possible. I don't think it's likely, but you have to look at it. with just, I mean, I had forgotten even San Antonio when I list off those teams, like there's, there's going to be, you know, six, seventeen, fighting for the last four spots in the playoffs. You know, those – you know, my my four locks, obviously, are Golden State, Houston, OKC, and, and, and Utah, um, obviously
2: assuming everybody's
1: healthy. And then the other four spots are just wide open to me, and, and, and it really could be anybody.
2: We so, didn't even list uh, Minnesota in either one of our lists.
1: <laughs> or, or Memphis, for that matter. I think Memphis with the health, healthy Conley and Gasol can get back in the playoffs. I just honestly think it's going to be – It's it's just – the West is brutal. And, you know, and, and, and if assume the Lakers don't make the playoffs, everybody's going to kill LeBron for it. I go, you can't kill LeBron for it. This is why I didn't think it was smart for him necessarily to go West. The West is just a tougher conference. It's just right. tough.
0: Yeah. And, and I agree. So with that being said, we'll move away from the West. Uh, it, it's definitely brutal. So we'll go over to the East. Um, and this is, I think this is interesting. So, Boston is going to regain Kyrie. They're going to get back Gordon Hayward, and then they're going to bring back all the young pieces they were able to make a run with next year. And not being talked about much because of, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins to Golden State drew a lot of attention. Um, Houston, Golden or Houston OKC kind of have garnered all the attention this offseason. But um, is it possible that Boston is the second-best team in the NBA, a healthy Boston, assuming health? What do you think?
1: I mean, it's certainly possible. Um, you know, you, there's still question marks here. There's – everybody always kind of says, well, they're getting back two All-Stars. They should automatically be considered that way. And they, and they should be considered the best in the East. Um, I think the Kawhi trade makes things interesting with Toronto. I think Toronto might might challenge them. I think Philly also might – you know, I think between the three of those teams, I think it could be any one of them really can finish from the top of the East. I I would say – Boston right now is most likely, but the other thing, two aspect of it, nobody really kind of talks about too much. When you insert two all stars into your back into your lineup, the guys who picked up the load last year kind of have to start stepping back, and there's no guarantee that goes smoothly, right? I know that the cult of Brad Stevens, everybody goes, they got Brad Stevens, it's fine, they'll figure it out, it'll all work itself out. I go, and and, and that very well may be true. But you can't tell me guys like, you know, Jason Tatum, who had a phenomenal playoffs and really a coming out party more so in the playoffs than anybody else. Um, you know, if, if if the team struggles early on and he's not getting a lot of minutes or he's, he's not getting the touches he was getting when those guys are out, you can't tell me some of this isn't going to play into his head a little bit. It's a human nature thing almost. You know, we were better when I was doing this, you know. I think right. the aspect too is, yo. Know, they were really good defensively when Kyrie was out, you know, and, and and in the playoffs, they didn't have Kyrie, and they were very good defensively because teams couldn't pick on it. And listen, he made improvements last year, but it's not like he made improvements to the point where they're like, "Wow, he's such a great defensive player." Teams are going to pick on him again in the playoffs. It's a it's a it's a weakness that teams will attack in the playoffs, and that was something they didn't have last year in the playoffs. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting.
2: I, I'm a. So you were talking about some of these uh, guys they had were gonna have to take a step back. And the the first person that comes to mind when you when I think about that is Terry Rozier. When Kyrie goes out, Terry Rozier, you know, you got the scary Terry epidemic in Boston, and you, you know, Terry is, you know, he plays really, really, really well. Um, uh, there were talks about um another team offering him some big money this offseason or or the offseason that he's free. And Terry Rozier is a guy who he sort of has that chip on his shoulder and he sort of feels like he, like he's not better than he is because I, I, he's just an extremely confident player, very confident guy. And so now you're going to ask him to, after his big year last year, to take that big step back. I'm very interested to see how, how he does in his new role when Kyrie comes back. Now, he, he was obviously in that role when Kyrie was there. Uh, but now, assuming Kyrie's healthy, asking him to do it for a full season after he just performed like he did in the, uh, the, the playoffs and while Kyrie was out. Um, and then, of course, they just gave Marcus Smart an extension. So I think their guard rotation is going to be uh, – I wouldn't be surprised to see there be a little conflict there before the year's up. Um, but I'm, I actually think, back to the question, is Boston the second-best team in the league? Um, I think on paper, yes. But if Kawhi is fully healthy, I think a healthy Toronto, uh, they have arguably the best bench in the NBA. So when they sub, they're not dropping off. And then their starting lineup is still Kyle Lowry, who's a solid point point Um, you've got Danny Green, maybe Kawhi Leonard. Um, and so I, I really like, uh, Toronto, I think as maybe the one seed in the East, um, before it's over. And I think Philly, I, I, I'm with you. I think Philly's right there too.
1: Yeah. I, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun battle between those three teams the Um. the East. Um,
2: the one thing that. This just sort of later on down the road, but if Toronto, I wonder if Toronto re-signs Danny Green when his contract is up and um, I wonder if it's one of those tryout deals where if he fits well and he plays well, they'll re-sign him, and if not, we'll let him go. But Toronto, you know, what is his contract? One year, fourteen million, I think.
1: Uh, I think it's ten million. I think he has one more year left on the deal for ten million. Ten million. Okay. Okay. I think. Don't 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 quote me, people. Don't come at me for five. Years. <laughs> uh,
2: the yeah, I just wonder if if this is like a tryout year for him, or if it, if they're really interested. I, I don't know how high they are in Danny Green. I, I
1: Danny Green's more than a throwman for that team, you know. That's another guy that can defend wing players and, and shoot the ball. You know, the report of him playing with a a, a, a torn uh, a torn groin this yeah, past yeah. year is, is, is really explains how he kind of struggled a lot this year. But when he's healthy and if he's back to normal, you know, Danny Green's a helpful piece. That was why he got that contract he got in San Antonio. You know, he was a, a 3-and-D guy, and if if Toronto doesn't want him, there are going to be several other teams that are going to be willing to pay for a 3-and-D guy next year.
0: Yeah, I can't speak on Danny Green because I haven't liked him since he dunked on Greg Paulus about 12 years ago
1: i I feel like that's more of a you issue than a danny green issue that's
0: i I refuse to speak and speak well of danny green after he embarrassed greg Paulus like that so um, i mean
1: he wasn't the only guy to embarrass greg Paulus now come
0: on you're right but this that's the photo that circulates you search greg Paulus, that photo comes up like third (laughs) so I, I, i just can't i can't add traction to his name there um, but I do think it's an interesting point on the one one year deal uh with Danny Green and relaying that to Kawhi. We talked on an earlier podcast and just interested to see what you think here. Is Toronto's in game with Kawhi to try to move him at the deadline again for more pieces and overhaul a rebuild, or are they hoping to be able to get Kawhi back next year?
1: No, I think their their goal is to get him back. I think that's you know, their their mindset i don't think they're looking to to flip him now look if he comes to them beginning of february going like hey guys this is fun but i hate it here definitely <laughs> leaving um, come july 1st then they'll look to to flip him but i i think their ultimate goal is to to keep him there and you know i don't see why they can't you know uh, toronto's a great city I've, I've been there a couple of times i i've loved it um it's cold. I'm an L.A. guy. It's cold. Don't get me wrong. Um, I haven't been there when it was super nice weather-wise, but I hear it's fantastic during that time. But they got great restaurants, all that fun stuff and things like that. But more importantly, this is going to be a team that's – this is his team. And for Toronto, it was a great gamble in the sense of, look, would we even be talking about them if they brought this team back? We'd be talking about Philly and, and, and Boston as one and two. We weren't yeah. even paying attention to them. You know, um, They could have ran it back. At the end of next year, they would have blown it up. Then, you know, and 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 so, you know, you gotta applaud, uh, applaud uh, Masai Ujiri for just saying like, "Let's take a chance." Listen, I know the whole story with 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 him and DeRozan, and that's they they mishandled that as a as a front office and an organization from the get go in terms of of dealing with their their star player. And I know a lot of people were upset about that, but you know. You can't tell me – I mean, we're talking about them as possibly being the second-best team in the NBA by simply trading for for Kawhi Leonard. Even if it's for a year, if they make it to the finals, that's worth it for them, you know, and that's worth it for the organization and for the city. And and that would – I mean, I can't imagine Kawhi would leave if they made it to the finals. Um, Got a lot of work to get there, but, you know, there's still a whole thing. And and we just saw it last year with, you know, entirely different situations because it's two different guys, but we just saw it with Paul George where – he ends up loving Oklahoma City and ends up sticking there. Um, you know, a year ago, this time last year, we were all like, "He's still going to go to LA in a year." You know, so right. I, yeah. You, you, you know, it's 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 a calculated gamble. It was a smart move on their part, and you know, I I don't think they're going to just flip him for the assets. I think their goal is to hey, let's let's get him here all year. Let's recruit him all year, and let's let's show him what we have to offer and what
2: type of organization we are, and
1: hopefully. Come July first, we're going to be able to re-sign him. The
2: uh, if Toronto is able to keep Kawhi, the next move for the roster, I think that we will have to be figured out is what are you going to do when Kyle Lowry's contract's up? Let's say Kawhi re-signs in Toronto, and it's a two or three year deal, or he'd probably go for the max, so probably four or five year deal. You, you sign. Kawhi signs in Toronto long-term. Now, when Kyle Lowry's contract's up, he's going to be on the downhill side of his career, and he's sort of had a uh, very underwhelming few playoffs. So now is Kyle Lowry going to – are they going to try to re-sign Kyle Lowry, or are they going to go hit the open market uh, if Kawhi is able to stay? Uh, but I wonder, too, if it with Kawhi – and Kyle, Lowry. I think uh, the front office in Toronto thought, you know what? We've tried this with DeMar. We thought he could get us to the finals. We thought he could get us to this next step. And it just never happened. So I'm with you on the calculated risk. You know, he's like, okay, this is as far as we're able to get with DeMar. Let's try to up DeMar and and let's just take the chance. So I think that's exactly – I think that's the best way to put it is the calculated risk.
1: Yeah, when you when you talk about like what are they going to do with Lowry in, in in two years, assuming they resign Kawhi, you know, I I can't imagine he would look at it and and not be willing. I mean, he he'd have to understand he's taking a pay cut. You know, in the last year of his deal, he's making thirty three million. You know, he's he's got to know he's not going to be worth that. Uh, you know, and 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 at the same time too, they're they're in a good situation where they have you know Fred VanVleet who coincidentally is also a free agent that year um but they have guys you know they have a replacement should kyle lowry leave you know i i I think we're putting the cart before the horse though a little bit there Uh, yeah i think think let's just see if they can how they do this year before we start figuring out if they need to get rid of kyle yeah
0: Well, with all that being said, we'll move on to kind of the last thing because we talk about all these different teams and the pieces and who might be the second-best team, and I think that's a little telling of the state of the NBA um, because it does feel like Golden State is still going to be the team to beat. Um, And we've had these discussions a couple times before, but what type of roster, not specific players, but I guess just the style of play, is it going to take – to dethrone golden state. And, and what we've said in the past or what I've said in the past is I don't think replicating golden state style of play is going to beat golden state. I think it's going to take a big physical roster that can guard all five positions and a bunch of high IQ guys, which is what kind of like, uh, I guess the Lakers kind of did the off brand version of that, but it's going to take it a little bit better. Uh, take the make the roster be a little bit better than what LA has right now. Um, in your opinion, what style of roster or what style of play is it going to take to stop Golden State?
1: Well, it's it's probably two ways, right? Um, it's it's very difficult to mimic what they do.
0: Right. Um, but we saw Houston
1: came pretty damn close. You know, a bunch of switchable guys. We're going to shoot a million threes a game, and on defense, we're just going to switch constantly, and they. They actually last year had put the personnel together on the floor that could do that. They don't, they've lost some of those guys this year, and I think that's going to hurt them a bit. But I think they kind of come closest to being able to replicate that. But I like the other, the, the other side of it, and it's kind of more what I lean to, is you know, I think they struggle with big, physical players. Yep. You know, We saw it in their first championship run when they, they struggled with Memphis. You know, and this was the grit and grind, Memphis Grizzlies. You know, um, you know they, they they have a hard time figuring out how they're going to beat Gasol and, and and Randolph. They had a hard time with that. You know, we've we've seen them struggle with Anthony Davis. Um, and I would have loved to have seen a healthy Cousins and Anthony Davis go at the Warriors because I think that would have really challenged them last year. I yeah, think right. that, that's an element of just man, it's tough. But I think you hit it. Head on, right? You gotta have switchable guys, high IQ, excuse me, high IQ guys. I think that 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 all matters. And then I think the one aspect of it that I think, and this is the NBA in general, and I think it's something you can take advantage of with the Warriors. You gotta pound them on the offensive glass. You gotta make them pay. You know, if they're gonna go small, you gotta really pound them on the offensive glass. I think teams make the mistake of we're going to send four guys back on defense and only crash the glass with one guy. I'm, you know, send two hell, even send three at times and, and, and make them pay for being small and always trying to get out and run. I think that's, that's an aspect of it. Now, let's also say, you know, my, my coaching career was very short lived in the NBA. So I might be completely insane. <laughs> my, my, my thought process on it is just like, you got to just crash the glass on those guys. You can beat them on the boards. You can hurt them by getting offensive rebounds because then they can't play their death lineup and they can't put all those five guys out there. Now they have cousins and it might be different depending how he comes out you know, and, and, and how he comes back from his injury and everything. Maybe it's not as easy anymore to crash the glass against them. But I think in years past, I think teams have really kind of missed the boat on, on a weakness that they really could have taken advantage of against the Warriors. And don't get me wrong, the Warriors are a good rebounding team but the reason why I also felt like was teams would always try to go small to match their lineups.
2: And I, and I think your bigs um, – I think your bigs have to be highly skilled offensively because if you just try to – like, uh, for example, the first or uh, maybe the second year, Cleveland sort of tried to – they slowed – I think it was the year Cleveland wanted actually. They slowed the pace down a little bit um, and they, they got LeBron in the post and, and sort of tried to post him. And so I think your big has to be skilled enough offensively to score on say Draymond or, uh, Andre Iguodala. Like I think they've got to be big enough to overwhelm them physically very much like an Anthony Davis. Um, and then I think all your guards have to be switchable. Um, I think you've got to be able, when Steph sets a screen for clay, you just switch it or, um, you know, I think all everybody's sort of got to be. I think y'all have already said it. You know, everybody's got to be able to switch, but I think that your big has to be able to score offensively in the post and be able to uh, make a move over Draymond because what I've seen most of the bigs do is just sort of try to force their way through him. Um, and I think Draymond has such a low center of gravity that's not exactly the best way to do it. I think they've got to be crafty around the rim and be able to score around him. Um, and then your guards, I think you do still have to, while you're trying, not trying to match them in shooting, I think you've got to sort of keep up a little bit. Like you don't have to necessarily.
0: Uh, you got to be capable.
2: Yeah, you, you don't have to make 23s. Uh, or, But you've got to sort of, you can't let them just overpower you from the three-point line. So I think your guards have to be, uh, be able to switch defensively and be able to shoot it a little bit. You know, I think 12, 13 threes is uh, maybe what I would shoot for if I was uh, an NBA team.
1: And I almost think you might even need
2: a little more than that. I, I, okay. Yeah, I, you know, that was just sort of a conservative number. Uh, but Yeah, I know you're throwing out
1: a number, and I'm being the jerk by uh, picking on you. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> What would be your what what uh so if for what what do you think the number should be for, in an NBA game roughly if you were trying if you were just trying to keep up with Golden State, I mean match.
1: I think you got to knock down at least 15 threes. Okay, that's I good. think it's it's probably it's got to be higher than that because you know that's that's a good point that you made is that you have to be able to hit to shoot the three ball, you know, and and having five guys that, that will make them have to defend. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Um, you can't just let it so that Draymond gets to play free safety. Uh, and, that, and that was probably the problem with the grit and grind team was they basically just put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and didn't even guard him. You know, and and, and I think that's something that – that's a challenge. And that's hard to find. And that's why also – that's why it goes back to, you know, Danny Green's always going to have a home in the NBA. I'm, I'm sorry, Tyler. But I hate
0: it but, right
1: you know because he's a 3nd guy and that's and that's why wings you know with length that can shoot the ball are great wings with length that can shoot the ball and create off the dribble are phenomenal uh, and are gonna get paid tons of money that's not Danny green
2: that last one
1: just <laughs> <laughs> and I
2: think that's exactly why la has sort of shaped the roster like they have because that's you you named it with the description of guys you've listed Brandon Ingram fits that mold Kyle Kuzma uh, you know Lance Stevenson in a smaller role like that's even uh you know Michael Beasley like even you know all those guys sort of fit maybe in a let to a lesser degree that that description that you've named
1: yeah I mean they, they have a ton of guys that are all going to be switchable you know you can throw Josh Hart out there you can put you know Alonzo can switch on just about everybody um they have a ton of guys, you know, obviously LeBron can do it. You know, the Lance Stevenson can guard a ton of guys. He might hurt you a little offensively. You know, Rondo's IQs through the roof. Like they have a ton of guys, you know, I, I don't know if they're, I, where they're going to hurt is they're not going to be able to hit those 15 threes or more right? on, on a consistent basis. That's really what's going to hurt them in the long run. Um, unless Lonzo's coming in and, and going to start shooting 40%. I, I, I think that's really going to be their, their challenge. But they are building a, a, an interesting team that would be geared towards beating the Warriors.
0: Well, maybe we'll see a uh, midseason acquisition of LeAngelo to be able to counter the the three, you might, you not being see, able to. You might see a <laughs> uh,
1: transaction to keep LiAngelo away uh, or give
2: Lavar Ball a restraining order from uh, Staples Center. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah I, I think that those are all good points and you know I was looking at the lineup and you know there's a, there's going to be a good amount of time when LA's has their best lineup on the floor and they don't have a guy smaller than Lonzo on the court who's you know 6'6 and, and that's going to be beneficial in, in guarding some of these teams so um, I think that's about all we've got as far as the NBA goes um, but if if you'd like talk a little bit about your time as a video coordinator and your, like you said, your short tenured career in the NBA. I think a lot of people would find that pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, look, yeah, you know, the video coordinator job is a very hard job in the NBA. Um, and, you know, and it's a hard job in college. It's it's, it's a tough job because you are constantly looking at film and breaking things down. It's it's a very thankless job. Um you know, the only time anybody really notices the video guy is when something's not working, which usually means we're in trouble. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, but the uh, the thing about it, too, is you watch so much film, you, you just learn film. You know basketball. Um, you it, w- it takes a lot of hard work to not learn something in the video room about basketball because you just watch so many games. Um, it's, it, it's a hard one to get. The one thing I'd say for anybody that's trying to get into basketball – at any level um especially if you're in college go work for your college basketball team as a manager go work for the athletic department if there's no positions with the basketball team men's or women's by the way it doesn't matter you know one thing that's important is that you have basketball experience on your resume um if if, if you're not in college you know reach out to the g league team that's nearby if, if you can help out there i know there's not a lot of them but they are in some random cities where, you know, might be able to help somebody who doesn't have a chance. You know, there, there, there's a lot of opportunities. but get basketball stuff on your resume. Cause that's the best chance you're going to have to make it. Um, if, if you're coming at, you know, when I was a head video coordinator and I'd get resumes from guys who had no basketball experience, I just, you know, I, I, I would respond to them going like, guys, I, I can't help you if you don't have basketball experience, right. um, you know, and, 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 um, I was at a uh, sports business class in Las Vegas. It's been turned into a promo for them uh <laughs> and, and, and you know I got to speak one day you know I spoke one day about it, and then after me, Neil O'Shea, who's the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers, who's the guy who hired me with the Clippers um and started my basketball career you know he 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 just kind of he really drove the point home, you know the kids who are in college you know. You're there for four years, like, and you want to work in the NBA. Like, what the hell are you doing? You
2: know, yeah. Like, yeah,
1: that makes sense. For
2: the team. The, Tyler, do you have the, uh, the viewer questions?
0: Yeah, so we, we hit most of them throughout the course. Um, but I guess the big one here is from our avid Dallas fan who wants to know, uh, how big of a jump can Dallas make this year? And is Luka Doncic really a star? going to be a star is how we'll phrase that one.
1: Um, Well, one, your reader should start reading the jump ball because I wrote about that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I wrote about Luka Doncic. I'm a big fan of Luka Doncic. I think he's going to be really good. I think Dallas is a great spot for him. I think he plays his best when there's another ball handler with him, and he has that with Dennis Smith Jr. I think the the, the European mentorship he's going to get from Dirk is really going to help. Um, you know, I think the Owls can make a, can make it pretty interesting. I don't think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're, uh, they're, they're definitely not one of the worst teams in the NBA or, or in the West. Um, I think they're going to be one of those teams that they're going to be fun. They're going to get wins on some nights where we're going to be like, Oh, wow. They, wow. They beat Toronto tonight. Like, Holy, Holy crap. Like that's pretty impressive. Um, but there's going to be other nights where you're just like, wow, this team is terrible. Um, <laughs> they're young. And that's and that's what's going to happen with young teams. You know, them getting DeAndre Jordan and having Dirk. You know, they're they're going to be competitive. I think they might compete for the playoff spot for a while, but they'll fade out and end up being somewhere in like the 10, 11 spot in the in the race. Now, if everything goes right and is from day one to star, Dennis Smith Jr. is a leap, and Dirk looks like he's you know Dirk from just four years ago, and DJ's kind of rolling down the the pain and, and blocking shots like he was a couple of years ago. Yeah. That that's, that's going to be the huge leap, but that means everything's got to go. Right. And that just doesn't
2: happen in life. Uh, yeah. See, that's exactly, I'm, you almost hit exactly what I was going to say is I'm maybe not as high on Doncic as you are. Uh, but I do think he's going to be a good player, but maybe not necessarily the, uh, league MVP that I've seen from a lot of Twitter people. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I like Dennis Smith Jr. And I I think Harrison Barnes is a solid player. I really like Dallas's ability to get out and transition. Um, I think they're super athletic and they've got guys that can create and transition. Um, So I'm with you. And then I think Dallas is going to be in that nine, 10, 11 range. I don't think they're going to be at the bottom of the West, but I think they're a few games, quite a few games away from a playoff spot. But I like Dallas in that nine, 10, 11 range too. Um, I think they've got a good fit uh, for a lineup in Dennis Smith, maybe West Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Luka Doncic, and uh, DeAndre Jordan. So I, I think they are in that 9, 10, 11 range. Uh, I, west, if, I, I
1: want to jump in just so nobody. I don't think being MVP level is a whole nother <laughs> <laughs> a whole nother stratosphere of guys, right? Uh, and I, I and I know what you're talking about. In the, in the sense of like, there's a lot of people on Twitter going like, listen, I only see a few NBA games before. I'm like, this guy's a future MVP. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, need, I need a little more than that, but I think he has a chance to be really good. I don't know if he'll ever win an MVP, but that's, that's kind yeah, of...
2: Yeah, I wasn't trying to attach your name to the league. MVP. No, no, I, I
1: didn't think you were, but I just wanted to make sure because, you know, in, in this day and age... Yeah, he, if you're not careful... Everybody starts coming at you. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's going to be the headline when we post this podcast. That's fine. Mo, Mo Dackhill predicts Luka Doncic MVP.
1: That's fine. I'll, 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 I'll have to be tweeting about fake news all day
0: then. <laughs> um, Ether, you got anything else? I think we've hit just about everything. But
2: no, man, appreciate Mo coming on the podcast. He enjoyed it, we'll uh, hopefully we'll get you a couple more uh, viewers on the Jumpball.net. That'd, that'd be
0: nice. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, go ahead and plug yourself one more time. And-
1: well, like I said, you can you can read my stuff at thejumpball.net. If you really want to be helpful, you can go to my patreon.com page and uh and and, and drop a little money in the can. I, you, you won't get anything special, but it helps me keep the content free. Um, but if you want, if anybody's interested, they can go to patreon.com/slash/thejumpball and 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 throw a little money in the in the uh I don't even know what they call it in church the 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 tray that goes around that drives money in, um, but you guys can do it do a little bit of that if you want. But again, read me at the dot net. You can follow me at mo keel underscore nba on Twitter, and yeah, that's it. And guys, thank you so much for having me, man.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, go ahead and go subscribe to the T dot and McEthers Twenty One podcast on iTunes. Appreciate everybody listening, and uh, we'll see you again.
1: Saying ain't nobody can stop me, they better sit back and watch me For really though, these niggas are silly though They think that I'm flopping No this isn't kinkos, you cannot make copies And just cause you're a dick, you no I do to be cocky Feeling like I'm holy though Flown like it's snowing me and 4-5 of the homies, girls acting like they know me Come on, rolly though Well this is just the life of knowing you the shit And I don't think I'm ever gonna quit Nah Party in my place, we gon' be faded It's gon' be fun you're all invited and i'ma bring my friends we'll have a good time under the sun we'll have fun 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 this
2: is over fucking weirdo
1: The game head zero making white buddy i call